morning, everyone. Good morning, online. Well, yeah, I got gotcha. Hey, hey, man. Uh, my name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here, and today it's a bit of a how-to. That last song was so lovely to hear as we sang it together, and the uh, leaving your spirit here until the work on earth is done, and um, the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, sometimes... We forget, but it's so, so important that we participate and be in that. So we're talking about rhythms. Um, this is what we're talking about. And, oh, Zach's going to get that TV. He's a, you want to get the TV? Should we get the TV? I think we should. Yeah, we get the TV. We get the TV. We're talking about rhythms and the rhythms of life and the rhythms that we participate in and how we do our life and how best we can take our life and make it something that we Make it something that we honor God with daily in a different way in each way we do things. Talking about New Year's, and it's kind of a good time, obviously, to have a series like this because we're experiencing new rhythms all the time. And every year we get to January, and uh, how many people here have ever made a New Year's resolution? Amen. How many people have ever failed on that New Year's resolution? Come on. Amen. There's really people here that have never made a New Year's resolution before. That's impressive. Good for you. I resolve to never make a New Year's resolution ever again. Because when you don't make a New Year's resolution, you never fail. Amen. So let's just never make New Year's resolutions ever again. Let's never try to stay in rhythm ever again. And let's never try to develop good habits ever again. Amen? No, you can't say amen to that. Because what happens is I used to not ever do New Year's resolutions because I didn't like to fail. And I don't think people really enjoy failing that much. But over the last number of years, I started to make some New Year's resolutions. I made a, I made a one, uh, surprisingly, I ran a marathon a few years ago. And in January, I woke up and I'm like, I'm going to run a marathon in four months. And I did it horribly, but I did it. And so you make these resolutions, then you stick to them, and you develop a rhythm in your life. Adriel and I, Adriel is doing the camera work right behind me, right in front of me right now. Uh, him and I, we've decided to do 50,000 push-ups this year. Amen. That sounds impressive, I know. But what that takes, it is impressive, just so you know. And uh, what that takes is you have to wake up every morning, get in a rhythm, and do your push-ups every day. And so that is what we're talking about, is not my push-ups, but we're talking about rhythms and habits. So... The Rhythms of Jesus, Three Ways to Bear Good Fruit. If you want to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 6, verse 43 to 45. Now, today is going to be a bit of a practical sermon, so there's going to be a bunch of little things. You could either take pictures of the notes or not. It doesn't matter. But there's a couple things that I want to give you, tools that I want to give you to carry on this year that could be part of your New Year's resolution about being more tapped in and being more honed into the Spirit of God. So let's read this. First, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. It's a beautiful idea that what we put our efforts into, what we, put our, what we place ourselves in proximity to is what comes out. So why do you do a New Year's resolution? We do a New Year's resolution because if we follow through with that New Year's resolution, we are going to have a good outcome in a year from now. 
We don't do resolutions that make us worse off. We don't do resolutions that, that are unhealthy for us. We do things because we want to bear good fruit. So as we commit to being closer and closer to the Holy Spirit, as we commit to being closer to Jesus, as maybe you need to do a recommitment this year to say, I'm going to take some time to be with God, do that. Because at the end of the year, as we place ourselves closer to Jesus, as we place ourselves closer in the Holy Spirit with a rhythm of Him, we'll be better off for it. My, uh, my wife is an artist, um, habits of an artist. And, and this is she told me I'm not allowed to do this, but she made this mug. Very lovely. She's gotten into pottery over the last year and a half. And she's fantastic at it. And uh, what I see when she does it, she, she, as she becomes more and more a master of what she does, you can kind of walk up and you can see what she's doing and she has all her tools at the ready. She has everything that she needs at the ready. And she starts to understand the clay more and she starts to understand what happens. She understands what the kiln does and how the glazes work and it's quite impressive to see. You see, habits of artists, as they do things more and more, they impress us more and more, but then they get better and better at their crafts. I was talking to James about electric guitar. He's so passionate, and he's very good, but he's so passionate about all his gear. You guys know gearheads, people that love their gear. He loves it, and it brought me back to when I played electric guitar a little bit, and I loved my gear, and I loved all those things. And the more and more I put time and effort into it, the better I became. There's a girl in our youth in England when I was a youth pastor in England, and uh, her and her family, extremely annoyingly talented people, and uh, fantastic singers, fantastic violin players, all of that. But she's a fantastic artist, and and I've been following her on Instagram, all her art and how she does things, and she's really interesting. She talks about all the, the amount of pencil strokes it takes for her to do a single piece of art, usually about 100,000 or 120,000 pencil strokes to do, or it takes 12 hours to, uh, to, to, to draw an uh, apple, and uh, it, all these type of things, and hundreds of pencils that she goes through a year, all the rhythms that she's developed over the year. And I want to show you a piece of her art that she just released. It's unbelievable what she can do with a pencil. And we see this, and we think, I want to be an artist. And you look at this, and you think, I want to do that. And if you go home right now, or if you're bored, you start sketching right now, I probably promise you that you won't be able to come out with that piece of art right now. But that's okay. Because we're not called to be perfect. We're called to be going forward. We're called to be moving forward. I want to encourage us today, hear me out. It's okay to be bad at being Christ-like. It's okay to be not as good as we want to be. It's okay to not be perfect at being Christ-like because perfection is not possible. We just won't be the perfect iteration of Jesus. But our goal is to always be moving forward, always to live, always to move towards that building of being like Christ and to keep going. On her, on her art, she shows this, this, this evolution of her pictures over the years, and she starts off with this little tiger that she's drawn when she was five years old, and, and I could almost do it as good as her then. And then as it goes on, all the different iterations of her drawings until she gets to basically masterpieces that she can live and she can work and she can, she can do that. Because she develops habits moving in the same direction all the time, and it's okay if she stumbles. It's okay if she makes mistakes. My wife, when she, when she makes the pottery, sometimes not all the pots come out the same way. They break, they, they fall, they fail. 
And so today, when we talk about these three habits that we're going to talk about, it's okay not to do them perfectly because we're not perfect. And they're not legalistic things that we have to do, one, two, three, and it makes an equation of being like Christ. No, it is just a rhythm that we want to establish in our lives because at the end of the year, at the end of our lifetime, we just want to be moving forward in a direction with the Holy Spirit and with Jesus. So the three habits I want to talk about today that bring us an awareness of God are Sabbath, meditation, and gratitude. I'm not going to be able to talk fully on each one of these because that would take, I wouldn't be able to do it, first of all, and that would take forever. But Sabbath is always interesting. I really enjoy talking about the Sabbath, and Sabbath has some really uh, absolutely amazing things when you look at it. The number seven, the number seven is in the Bible, and it's in the Bible for a big and important reason. The number seven in Hebrew, in biblical Hebrew, is connected to the idea of fullness and completion. And fullness and completion is something that we all long for, but it's not often the place that we get. Now keep that in mind as we look at creation in the Bible. In the creation story, we see a be- the beginning of human history is marked out with chaos and disorder. But then God brings about light and order so that life can flourish. There are six days in the creation story that are marked with the phrase, there was evening and there was morning. But on the seventh day, something special happens. That phrase, there was evening and there was morning, is no longer there. That day is a day like there is no end. And on that, and on that day, God's presence fills creation. And it was seen that all of eternity, all of creation, everything is sustained by the presence of Jesus. And when that sustenance happens on that day of creation, everything seems perfect. God places man in charge of creation, and there's a big partnership going on. But man is deceived. Humans are deceived by a dark force. And so there begins that casting out of the Garden of Eden into this wandering and slavery. But that could be the end of the story, but God says, no, I don't want that to be the end of the story. So he starts to build the process of coming back into relationship with humans. As they wander, they go, into, they go into slavery in Egypt, and God sends Moses, and God sends a messenger to help them get out of slavery, and then they start to wander for 40 years in the desert, if you know the story. And as they're in there, God gives a commandment to them to take the Sabbath. And then it kind of starts to get like interesting about the number seven. When they're they're told about the practice of the seventh day of rest, almost like practicing what it's like to be in the garden every seventh day. So every seven days, they need to take a break. They need to take a stop, a moment, just to enjoy God's creation. But that's not all. Seven times a year, they have seven festivals that celebrate the seventh day of rest. So seven times a year, they celebrate by having rest. And then every seven years, there is, every seven years, the Israelites were to liberate slaves and forgive debts and let their land rest for a whole year. And after every seventh year, times seven was the year of Jubilee. So every 49th year was the year of Jubilee when they were to celebrate the idea of Sabbath that anybody who had lost their land or gone into debt, all was forgiven and everything was restored. That's what I would like to have happen. That could be good about this time right now. 
So essentially, the Sabbath was practicing for what it was like in the garden. That seventh day that people had celebrated and rested with God, God wanted to go back to that. He said, so this is what it was like in the garden. Take some time to remember that. And so then it was also pointing towards the promised land. This is what it's going to be like in the promised land. They got into the promised land, and they were supposed to celebrate the seventh day, but they forgot their God. And then back into slavery they went. And then the prophets started saying, look, there is going to be a promised land. There is going to be a day with the ultimate year of jubilee, and that freedom and rest would come. But the years of darkness ensued seemingly with no hope. But then came Jesus. Then came Jesus. He launches his public ministry on what day? The Sabbath day. In Luke 4, 14 to 21, it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogue, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue, and it, as was his custom, he stood up and read. And the, scroll, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found a place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressors free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The Sabbath is so important. We look at the Bible, we know that everything points to Jesus. But Jesus points to rest. We sometimes forget. We can be like the Israelites. We forget to rest. We forget to take a moment. We forget to say, look, one day a week we need to hold off a little bit. Not hold off from our family duties. Not hold off from our being at home. Not hold off from anything like that. But hold off from work. Hold off from being. Hold off from doing. Hold off from making money. Hold off from all those type of things. And to slow down and to remember what this is all about. This is about God's good rest. This is about God's good presence being in our lives. But the thing is, we don't get it. And there's proof that we don't get it. Because we crucified Jesus. Man took Jesus to the cross and crucified him, even though he was proclaiming the beauty of rest in Jesus. But you see, he was killed on a crucified on a Friday, and on the Sabbath he rested. On the eighth day he came and he proclaimed a new dawn of hope, a new hope that was coming, a new eternity that was for everyone. Jesus' resurrection was like the first day of new creation where God's light and life broke into the darkness. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we can now live in the hope of God's promise and future rest. But we're not there yet. It's almost like we go back to the wilderness. We, like the Israelites, have a choice of practicing the hope of the future rest now. You see, when we celebrate Sabbath, we celebrate the future rest that God has for us. We celebrate the future rest that we'll be like one day. Why do we push against rest? I don't know. Well, I'm going to talk about it in a second here. Why do we push against rest? It makes no sense. All God wants to do is give us rest. If we just obey His good commandments... And say, God, I want to just rest with you. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says this, Come to me, all who are weary and overburdened, and I will give you rest.
Walter Brueggemann says this, in our contemporary context of the rat race of anxiety, the celebration of Sabbath is an act of both resistance and alternative. In resistance because it is the visible insistence that our lives are not defined by production of commodity goods. And it's an alternative of which we can provide, of which provides fulfillment in his word. So let's talk about this, how Sabbath is resistance. You know, if, you were, if we were to go back, I often think of this as a kid. If we were to go back to those times in the Old Testament and they built up their idols, does anybody think to themselves right now, if I saw a big gold statue there and I was told not to worship that statue, I probably wouldn't worship that statue. I think, I think to myself I would have a handle on those idols of big golden calves. I think I, I figured that out. But then I get to myself, I'm like, man, I wasn't there. I don't know what it was like to be them. But nowadays our idols are a bit different, a bit more subtle. We have different idols, and our temptations are different, and we slide into them so easiness, easiness, easily. We slide into those temptations. We slide into the, the idea that work is our idol and being productive is our idol. You ask somebody, how was your week? It was busy. They say with a sigh. I say with a sigh, oh, I was so busy. I'm such a busy person. I'm so important. Look at me. I'm so busy. We, we, we take pride in the fact that we're busy. And understandably, if you have two like A-type personalities that come into a room and they have coffee in the morning, what's your week like? Oh, it's been really busy. Oh, yeah, mine too, mine too. Be real busy, real busy. I'm a real busy person. We take pride and we take our identity in how hard of working, how hard workers we are. We take pride and we take this idea that our value comes from how hard we're working. And that's what the world wants, and that's what the world sees. And it's, it's, it's not bad at all to be a hard worker. But we need to resist that temptation to make that our identity. When you decide to take one day off a week, we resist that temptation to say, I'm going to identify myself around my job. No, I want to identify, identify myself around God. So we resist that busyness. We've all had moments of busyness that you can't get away from. See, we don't want to make Sabbath a legalistic ritual. We want to make it a celebration of rest. So there's going to be times in our lives that we have to work hard for a few weeks in a row. We can't really take some time off. But what we need to remember is that rest is from God and rest is good. I have a prideful story I'm going to share with you about how hard of a worker I was at one point. This is kind of goes against what I'm supposed to be talking about. But I was very proud of myself because one day I drove from Toronto to Kamloops in just under, just over two days. I shouldn't say under two days. The story's getting bigger. I drove from Toronto. I left about three in the afternoon and uh, I drove straight through with two sessions of four hours sleep. And I also got my car stereo installed in Thunder Bay. I was very proud of this. And have you guys ever been to the store? You've been to Max, you've been to 7-Eleven, and on the shelves they have the five-hour energies. What is the five-hour energy for? It's made so we don't rest. It's made so we keep going. And so I slept in uh, Wawa, Ontario uh, one night. You've been, anybody been to Wawa before? Amen? We've all, if you've driven across in two and a half days, talk to me later. I want to be impressed as well. Then I kind of wandered around. The thing with driving through Canada that gets very frustrating is, is that when you're through Ontario, you seem to be driving the wrong way for a long time. There's the windy roads, and I'm like, can we just not get this to be straight? You know, with all our money, Prime Minister, can we do this? Can we, like, just forfeit our 
you know, COVID checks for a month and just get a straight road. That would be great. So as we're driving, as I was driving, it was just me. As I was driving through, got to Thunder Bay, got my stereo installed. I was tired of this time, but I was like, no, I'm going to get all the way through to Winnipeg or whatever. And I started driving, and your mind starts to do crazy things. And I see the sign that says, um, Kenora is 540 kilometers. I'm like, ah, 540 kilometers. I can do that in my sleep. Well, I'll tell you what. I almost did that in my sleep. But I thought, you know what, I got this five-hour energy. I've taken two already. I'm going to take one more. You're not supposed to double these five-hour energies. I got about 200 kilometers into that, and I started shaking. I'm like, this is not good, nor is it very healthy for me. So I pulled over, and I took a jittery nap for 45 minutes, and I was able to carry on. Got through to... uh, what, Brandon? Brandon? Anybody been to Brandon? We're going to go through Canada. You've been to Manitoba, been to Brandon. I slept in a Walmart parking lot and uh, in the back of my new Jeep that was from 2001. And uh, I got up in the morning at 5 or whatever in the morning and I hit the alarm so everybody saw me uh, scrambling around in my vehicle and headed off. I got to Kamloops that day. So it was long, it was hard, it was arduous, but I was so proud of myself because I'm like, I worked hard at something and I proved to everyone that I could do it. I couldn't really, because I almost hurt myself. I actually drove over this big rock. For some reason, it was in the middle of summer. For some reason, I thought it was one of those big clumps of snow, and I drove over it, and bam, I almost lost my tire, which actually three months later, I turned a corner, and I did lose that tire, so that was a bit dangerous. We can't sustain that, is what I'm saying. We can't carry on living like that. I will never do that again. I encourage you never to do that as well. Don't try to beat that. It just doesn't make sense. But busyness becomes our idol, and we think we don't need to rest anymore, but we do. B&H is a business, um, a photo business in Manhattan, and it's the largest non-chain photo and equipment store in the United States and is the second largest in the world. It's also owned and staffed by Hasidic Jews who, on any given day, 8,000 to 9,000 people pass through their front door. 70% of their business is online, serviced by a 200,000-square-foot warehouse in Brooklyn. And even though the industry is intensely competitive, B&H does not conduct business on the Sabbath. They close their doors doors from 1 p.m. on Fridays and keep them closed all day Saturday, the biggest shopping day of the week. During the Sabbath, customers can peruse their website, but they can't even buy and order online. Recently, a customer asked the B&H Director of Communications, how they could close both the retail store and the website on Black Friday. The director replied, we respond to a higher authority. They respond to a higher authority. How can you take a day off? How can you stop? How can you, how can you stop working? How can you stop performing? How can you stop bringing in this or that? Because we respond to a higher authority. We resist the authority that this world gives and we respond to a higher authority. The second thing is we have an alternative. We have an alternative provider. The Lord is our provider. We are not our providers. We need to understand that every good and perfect gift comes from God. I worked with a friend of mine in Calgary and, uh, and we were working and doing some decks and there was a, a, a row of about 100 townhouses. Every deck took about two hours to build, and uh, every deck that you built, you got $300. And it was all piecework. You could just keep going. You can see the temptation to come in on a Saturday and and knock out three or four decks and bring home $1,000. 
but we respond to an alternative provider. God is our provider. I'm not disparaging hard work at all. But I'm saying if we can, because I know this life brings up different challenges for single moms and single dads and, and people that have to do to work two or three jobs just to make end meets. Kelowna is difficult. But if we can, please stop and remember who our provider is. It's Jesus. That leads us into the next habit that we have. The next habit is meditation, stillness before God. Perhaps we can't always take that whole seventh day, and I really want to encourage you to try to take that seventh day, but perhaps we can't always take that. But think about this. Mother Teresa says, we all must take time to be silent and to, be, and to contemplate, especially those of us who live in big cities. Where everything moves so fast, I always begin my prayer in silence, for it is in the silence, the heart, that God speaks. We've been, we've been praying together online, and every day we want to have a bit of silence, we want a bit of, bit of time just to be quiet before God. And that stillness is where God can move, and that stillness is where He can speak to you. Be still and know that I am God. Take that time to just to be still and know that he is God. You are not God. The Sabbath is being still and knowing that, that he is God. These moments of rest are being still and knowing that he is God. Teach me and I will be quiet. I'm not good at being quiet. But teach me and I'll be quiet. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. If we want to be like Jesus, if we want to be like him, we need to stop and we need to be still and we need to allow his presence to wash over us. How many times when we are in the midst of a battle, in the midst of an argument online and we got to get the last word in or, or talking to our spouses, we have to get the last word in. Those type of things when we are in the midst of an argument, we think that saying something will help. Exodus 14, 14 says this. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. The battles in this world are going to be raging on forever. We need to practice being still. I was reading this week, there's a, a bit of an article that talked about, about being quiet, um, being in stillness. And if you are quiet or in stillness for three weeks, which is 21 days of prayer, for 10 minutes a day... You start to make better decisions just physiologically. You start to make better decisions. You start to have more patience. You start to, to be able to respond to people in a better way just because you have that stillness and the stillness of your mind. If you do it for three months, 15 minutes a day of quiet, nothing else going on, it starts to re-energize it and recreate the gray matter in your brain. There's actually physical things that happen when you're stopped and you're still. God made us to stop and to be still in his presence. God calls us to be still. So this is a practical thing, and I want to encourage you. I've been taking time this week at 10, 15 minutes a day just to try to stop and still and be quiet. It's very difficult for me. But what I encourage you to do is you just do that. You bring a verse to God, and like that, be still and know that I am God, and you just 
recall that to your mind. Recall that to your heart every time your mind starts to wander because it will wander. Just like what I said at the beginning, you're an artist, you will make some failures. If you take the first 10, 15 minutes just to be still and quiet, your mind will go absolutely everywhere. You might even end that 10 minutes with some frustration with someone that did something to you at work because it gets recalled to mind. You'd be like, I just failed that. I can't do that again. No, go back again tomorrow and do it again. Go back again the next day and do it again. And just be still before God because that's what he calls us to do. And why does he call us to be still? Because it brings attention to him. It brings attention to the presence of Jesus around us. I get into this habit, unfortunately, um, when I'm praying for my kids at night or praying in the meal, God, uh, be with us as we go or be with us as we do this or that. And my wife sometimes will interrupt me during my prayer and the Jordan, God's with us. Stop saying be with us because he is with us. And what does meditation do? It reminds us that the Holy Spirit is with us all the time. And as you take time to meditate, as you take time to be still before God, that day you start to recall Jesus more. You start to recall the presence of God more. In your business, in your work, in your school life, when you're at home, when you're cleaning, it starts to recall God's presence in your life at that moment. So take time to be attentive. You might live in a chaotic world, in a chaotic place, which many of us do, and each stage of our life is different. Kids running around, life is insane, everything is happening. You can take moments of stillness, or movement before God. There's a book I've talked about a couple times, Tish Harrison Warren, um, Liturgy of the Ordinary, where she makes her bed every morning. She used to never make her bed, and she makes her bed every morning. And during that time, during that ritual, she slowly spreads out the bed sheet. She does that, she does that, and takes that time just to be with God before the madness of making breakfast for the kids or before the madness of sending kids off to school. Just taking five or ten minutes just to be still, is good. You might, not have, you might have a real problem with just laying down and just being still. Go out, take some time in the garden when spring comes. Use that time to be still before God. Not have a podcast in. I love to have podcasts in my ear. Take those out. Just be still for a few moments. We get home and we turn on Netflix. Amen. That's fine. But that is that is a distraction at times from what is better. One show, two shows, good. Three, four hours go by. You're like, I've just rotted my brain for four hours. Take some time first and to give it to God. Father Thomas Keating in his book, The Intimacy of God, an introduction to centering prayer, describes the Holy Spirit as a divine archaeologist. The first day that you spend some time being quiet before God, he'll start to, he'll start to like work away some of the, the, the crust of your life. And the next day, he'll dig a bit deeper, dig a bit deeper. And before you know it, you've, you've, you've explored areas of your life in the quiet before God, recalling his spirit and, and being present with his spirit that brings out things that you never knew you needed to talk about or need to think about or need to pray about. God is beautiful and gentle, and he brings that to the surface, and he loves us. So being still before God is the best way to learn. Because prayer is so important, but prayer is active, and listening is submissive. We need to pray. We keep praying. we got to pray into things, but also we need to stop, and we need to listen. 
And what does being, what does being in, a, in, a, in a place of quiet before God bring us? It brings us to gratitude. I'm going to go to that in a bit. It brings us towards gratitude. Brené Brown says, I don't have to choose extraordinary moments to find happiness. It's right in front of me if I'm paying attention and practicing gratitude. Our lives aren't always filled with gratitude. We're not always in a place that everything is going so good that we can always be gracious and thankful for things that are happening. Life is tough. But if we start to practice gratitude and move towards that, it starts to change things in our lives. In 21 days of prayer, we always start off with a bit of thankfulness in the morning to remind ourselves of what's happening, remind ourselves of things that, are doing, that God is doing good in. On Friday, I had people type on the, on the, you know, in the chat, say what you're grateful for. It was awkward because I was two minutes ahead of everybody, so I had to like, figure it all out. But I don't know. I just see a whole bunch of things that people are grateful for. It encourages my spirit. I'm not grateful right now. Maybe there's something that I'm not grateful for. But then I see somebody else being grateful that they have life that they're going through tough, and they're still grateful. And I'm like, no, that's a good thing. Thank you for being grateful. Thank you for showing that to us. There's a children's book by Sheila Lynn, and it starts off about talking about tummy bread talks about a grandma and a, and a granddaughter making bread. As they make bread together, the grandmother tells Rachel about tummy bread, which fills her tummy, and heart bread, which fills her heart. The grandmother tells Rachel that when she was a little girl, she lived in Europe during the war. Like a lot of other children, she lost her parents and her home and became very hungry. Eventually, she was in a shelter and a refugee home, and the adults were loving and kind. But she and the other children had trouble sleeping at night because they remembered that they had, been a, they had been homeless and hungry and the fear that one day they might not be able to eat again. One of the wise adults decided to give the children a piece of bread to hold, to, hold on to at bedtime. With this bread in their hands, the children remembered, I ate today and I'll eat again tomorrow. Holding on to this bread it, all helped them, it helped them all sleep in peace. That brings us to this prayer of examine. The prayer of examine is a prayer that's been prayed for 500 years by Christians. The prayer of examine is examining what we have to be grateful for. You start off becoming aware of God's presence. Usually the prayer of examine is when, before you go to bed at night, you can kind of pull this out and kind of, kind of pray through it. Become aware of God's presence. Give thanks for his great love for you. Start off with that and take a moment to pray into that. Then pray for grace to understand how God is acting in your life. It doesn't always feel like God is acting in our lives, but just stop and listen and wait and God will show you how he's acting in your life. Review your day. Recall specific moments and your feelings at that time. Take a moment to see what's been happening in that day, even if it's just a moment of quiet in the car before the chaos ensues. Just take a moment to thank God for that little moment and look towards tomorrow, thinking of how you might collaborate more effectively with God's plan. Be specific and conclude with the prayer, Our Father in Heaven. 
Just bring ourselves back to being grateful. Bring ourselves back to being thankful. Thankful for his rest and thankful for his presence and thankful for his spirit living in us. Because thanksgiving is a portal into the presence of God. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. When we stop to take some Sabbath, when we stop to be still before God, come with a gracious heart and a heart of gratitude. Be thankful in all circumstances, for it is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Gratitude. What are you most grateful for right now? How might a daily practice of gratitude help you become more aware of God's goodness and find a time of day where you can begin a Thanksgiving ritual? Real practical. I want to encourage you with that. Perhaps you're at a place where you haven't found much joy. Author Anne von Kamp knows the transforming power of giving thanks. She's no stranger to heartbreak. As a four-year-old, her younger sister had toddled into the farm lane, wandered after a cat. Not seeing her there, a delivery truck driver accidentally drove over her, crushing her to death. And also, she lost two infant nephews within a year and a half to a rare genetic lung disease. As a farmer's wife and a homeschooling mother of seven, Anne's life had plenty of demands. And like the rest of us, she, she at times feels like a failure, a loser, not enough. Several years ago, one of Anne's friends dared her to name a thousand gifts in her life. She began the practice of giving thanks, even for the small things. Perhaps this year, your one thing is to write down 1,000 things that you're thankful for. How could we write down 1,000 things that we're thankful for? Morning shadows across the floor. Jam piled high on toast. The cry of a blue jay from high in the spruce. Just start to practice being grateful. Start to practice being thankful. You've changed, another friend remarked. You seem more hopeful, grateful, happy. It's the list, isn't it? Her friend summarized. As thanksgiving grew into practice, her life was transformed. She became more aware of God's goodness and the joy in the ordinary moments of the day. So I want to challenge you at the beginning of this new year to take one or all three of these and say, I want to practice Sabbath, I want to practice rest, and or I want to practice gratitude. These are things that aren't aren't something that is arduous. It's actually the opposite. It's just stopping and taking a moment with God. I'm going to ask the band to come up, and I'm going to finish with a scripture at the end of, Matthew, at the end of, at the, end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. But the wise and the foolish builders. A 
Let's take a moment, and I'm going to read this. And we're just going to start to perhaps close your eyes. Perhaps take a moment, and we're going to take 15 minutes in silence. No, we're not going to do that. We're going to take a moment or two just to be silent before God. I'm going to read this passage out. And then I want you just to think of something that you're thankful for. Something that you can give praise to God for. Even if it's just the shadows from these lights (laughs) across the floor. I'm going to read. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it's foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rains came down, the stream rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. What this verse speaks of and what the constant in this verse is is there is storm and there is crashing and there is waves. But as we place our trust fully in Jesus, take time to rest, take time to be with him, take time to be grateful for the things that he's done, we build that strong, firm foundation. People talk about 2022, how 2021 was supposed to be good, and 2020 was supposed to be good, and they were pretty bad years. Well, 2022 may be a bad year, may be a good year, but that shouldn't concern us if we stop and take time to be in His presence daily, because we can make this year the best year by being in His presence, and the wind and the waves and the, and the storms will circle around us. But as we sit in his presence and be with the Holy Spirit and abide in him, we'll be stronger for it and more resilient.